You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. The Versus Machine is on, and it's time again to process two items through it. I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Richard Gibson. The Versus Machine is all about education. Education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another. But without further ado, let's get the machine rolling. Ready, Richard? I'm ready. Today we're doing Watchmen, the 1986 classic graphic novel series by Alan Moore. Versus Watchmen, the 2009 adaptation by 20th Century Fox and director Zack Snyder. Rorschach. In the graphic novel and in the movie, Rorschach is the epitome of vigilante justice and, frighteningly enough, the voice of reason among the Watchmen. I think I have to agree with you. It's more so in the graphic novel because we get a lot more of his backstory in the graphic novel than we do in the movie, and it gives him a little bit more of a face than it does Mm -hmm. in the movie, but in the movie still, his journal entries are exactly what i would consider a voice of reason in a regular novel so i can't go without considering it a voice of reason in the graphic novel Mm -hmm. and certainly not in the movie right the thing that makes rorschach tick is he's the epitome of uh, vigilante justice unlike most of the other characters in the film i don't think rorschach cares whether anything gets fixed in the world most of the mass superheroes are trying to better the world in some or better themselves in some way. Rorschach's mostly just about if it's evil, I'm going to kill it. Yes, and going to kill it in sometimes in a rather in a way that achieves poetic justice. I don't think yeah. Rorschach thinks that anyone can be reformed. I don't Not think he really, really cares. He says he says that the world is basically you know, full Morally of re- blank and full of retarded children at one point. Yeah. I think that he looks at the entire world as just this big evil piece. Yeah, he goes he's his form of investigation is I'm gonna go to a some kind of strip club bar and just start breaking fingers until someone tells me what I wanna know. He has really no remorse about breaking random people's hands and fingers and crushing their hands into uh, shot glasses. He just doesn't care because, in his mind, they deserve it. In one way or another, they've done something wrong. Maybe they beat their wife. Maybe they steal from work. You know, maybe they've never been caught. Maybe they couldn't be convicted in a court. But they have still done some form of evil that needs to be punished. Rorschach himself might not even know what it is. But he's still going to punish them for it. And he'll find, he'll get the information that he wants, and then he will go punish the person that he's after. He's he's relentless. He never compromises, and that's even if his methods are very questionable, his drive, his dedication is something to be admired. Honestly, you may not agree with me, and I really want to hear your opinion about this. I think that Rorschach is the closest thing to a moral character this entire graphic novel has, and the entire movie has. 
not necessarily because he's completely moral because obviously he does kill and he does (laughs) create carnage wherever Uh he goes but he's moral in the sense that he's the only one that has the dedication to continue to do what it is he thinks is right no matter what and he doesn't you know the overarching point of the novel which is you know peace through force and coercion he doesn't like that he doesn't think that we should lie to people to make things okay he thinks that his his thing is tantamount to free will i mean what do you think what do you mean tantamount to free will he believes in free will he believes but he's not one of the ones that believes that people can be controlled do you think that rorschach is evil he's my love for rorschach really battles me inside for me to tell you that he's evil because i love rorschach he's my favorite character in the entire graphic novel and he's my favorite character in the movie he's the only character that i think the movie does just as well as the graphic novel does in making him that's the only character i think is 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 on the same caliper in both versions but what i the exception of the absence of the backstory but that was probably mostly for time in the case of the movie yeah but his his dedication to justice is unparalleled and is very admirable but he goes about it in a really really twisted way that's probably unethical do the ends justify the means is he evil we're both ambivalent about this what do you guys think Go to versusmachine.com and click the contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page and tell us, do you think Rorschach is evil? Dr. Manhattan. In the graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan is a powerful and incomparably indifferent creature. I think in the movie, he's God. I think he is God. I, I, I don't think there's any question in my mind. It's not so much, oh, they look at him as God. It's not so much, oh, they think of him as God. I think that Snyder kind of went somewhere that i don't necessarily agree with and he is god yes there's especially the last few lines in the movie where they say as long as john is watching us as long as people believe john is watching us because he's not he just left he's like screw this place i'm going somewhere that's less complicated but as long as they believe he's watching us then we'll act properly and in my opinion that's a complete distortion of the message it's a complete distortion of the message of the book which talks about him being so detached from society that he can't come up with a reason to save it i think in the in the movie they just turn it into he doesn't need to save it because he's god and god doesn't do those type of things he actually chastises adrian in a big way in some of the last few scenes where he goes i'm very disappointed in you and he's gigantic i felt like that was a god thing i felt like that was god you know saying he's disappointed (laughs) in his subject yeah but that was him being disappointed that he thought that Vite thought he could kill Manhattan by just getting rid of his intrinsic field. Well, while I while I agree that 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 is the literal connotation, I feel like the symbolic connotation is completely different. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, he he does say in both the graphic novel and the movie that he understands what Vite did. He understands it without condemning or condoning. And what really bothers me about Dr. Manhattan as a character is he is truly the only person with the power to stop anything that goes on. Right. And it really just kind of hurts me deep down inside that he does nothing. I mean, I understand that he's aside from society. I understand that he says things like, why should I save a world that I have no stake in because he loses Silk Spectre? But I just don't see how anything could be that detached. And in the movie, they make it even worse. They make him heartless. In fact... They take out large portions of his past of what he used to be, which completely dehumanizes him as a character. It does, yeah. Would you say that Dr. Manhattan is evil? 
You know, it's a really rough question to ask me that. It really is. It's a really rough question. It's a very weighing question on me. Can to I ask put that. it to you a different way then? Okay. You're walking across the street. Mm-hmm. You sprain your ankle, whatever. You can't move anymore. And there's this big semi coming down, and for whatever reason, he doesn't see you or can't stop or whatever. And I could get you out of the way of that, of that truck, and I don't. Would you die? And yes, you would get annihilated because this thing's coming like, you know. No, would you die if you helped me? No. No, I could get you out. I could. But why don't you help me? Would my unwillingness to help you be evil? In certain circles, I would say it's definitely evil because I would say that the absence of good is always evil. So by turning the other cheek to something that's already evil and just aiding it in some small way, I would say that is evil. It's yeah. the it's the old adage if there it, it's the old adage if there's a painting and a baby and a drown and they're both drowning, which one do you save? I, I think you're evil no matter what. You, I think obviously most people would say saving the baby is yeah. the good thing to do, but there's a lot of people out in the world who would say saving the painting is the good thing to do. So I That's I think weird. I think it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, honestly, do I think he's evil to an extent? Yes. Yes. But I don't think he has the faculties to be evil. And that he feels so apart from the rest of the world that he can't be evil. Yeah. I would say he's definitely evil because he could do good and isn't because he doesn't care. That's why I say he's just unbelievably indifferent. He's like, well, you're right, Laurie. I could go save your blue world, but I don't really care. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's heartless and just unbelievably heartless. On the subject of being evil, definitely without a doubt, we have to look at the difference in the endings. Whereas yeah. in the movie ending, it's made to look like John blew up a bunch of cities in the world, right. thus making him look evil and right. banding everyone around him. In the book, they make the giant squid men, which John has nothing to do with, and he just leaves. He definitely right. looks more evil in the movie than he does in the in the book. Yes, and I he's think made that way. And I think that's terrible. I think it's terrible that they do that to him, not necessarily because he's not evil, uh-huh. or not necessarily because he's not that evil, because it changes the tone of of how you feel about the character. Yes. It changes how you're going to how you're going to perceive that character for yep. the re- for forever. I mean, honestly, right. if you were not to read the novel but watch the movie, you would come away with a completely different opinion of that character. Adrian Veidt. In the graphic novel, Adrian Veidt is a well-meaning villain. In the movie, I think Adrian is a republic serial villain. He's exactly what he says he isn't. Yep. I think they boiled his character down to such a complex and to such this over-the-top thing that it, you have no choice but to call him a Republic Sealer villain. Everything he does yeah. is so predictable, it's yeah. ridiculous. He's being adapted from a graphic novel, and he says, I'm I'm not a comic book villain. But, but I, he pretty much is in the, in the movie. I don't like him in either version. I don't like him in the book or the movie. I don't I, think you're exactly supposed to. He's, he's not made to be a very likable kind of person. I think about the only thing you can really ask about Adrian Veidt is, is he evil? Is killing, as as he puts it flat in the not, in the movie, I killed millions to save billions. Is that ethical? But I, I think it's more than that. I think the difference is more than that. I think it, you can tell just by his costume what's different about him. His costume in the book <laughs> right. is drawn very flowing, very presentable in the movie in the movie it looks like something i would buy at party city for ten dollars okay maybe i i don't like it in the movie i don't like they turned him into this basically like i said a republic serial villain yeah they turned him into just this comic book villain 
that serves only one purpose, which is to move the story along. And they do all the environmental stuff, which, which doesn't really, really make sense to weird. his character. No. It made him more... Instead of wanting to actually change the human condition and fight evil, he was spending a lot of time fighting oil and fossil fuels. And that's just really weird. And that that's not that's not even the same kind of a battle. Wanting to make humans no longer evil is a totally different goal than wanting to get our reliance off of fossil fuels. That was a really disappointing change that they made in the movie. On the question of is he moral, I think you have to ask yourself the question does the end justify the means? He is the epitome of the character. You have to ask yourself, yes. does the end justify the means? Yes. Does killing one person to save six other people, is that right? Uh, that's that's just a rough question. I mean, is I mean, it fair to then ask who was the one and who are the six? I guess it all depends on where your morals are. Yeah. I guess if your morals are deeply religious, it's kind of hard to take that question. Yeah. It's and But if your morals are more atheistic it's easier to take that question because mm. you don't have the same you don't have the same look upon the value of a person right because religion is very concrete about what is a person this is a person yeah. and if you don't have religion it's it's very loose what is a person you get to make up your own idea which i'm not advocating religion or non-religion i it doesn't matter either way i'm just saying the question of whether he is moral all depends on how you define a person if you define a person as only as good as the 100 other people that they're with, or do you define a person as unique enough by themselves that only that one life is the most important thing? The comedian. Really, between the graphic novel and the movie, the comedian's really pretty much the same thing. He's not changed in any significant way, and in both of them, he's evil's parody. He is evil incarnate. I think he is the... I, I think we don't even have to ask the question, is the comedian moral? Because no, he's not. He's no, not moral. He's shooting he pregnant shoots, women yeah. for kind of the sport of it. And he's raping like, people just because he right. wants to get off. Yeah, there's a riot. Let's go down there with a flamethrower? And shoot oh, people with real bullets. Jacked up. But I think the comedian's big point that he brings in is that line that I, that I told you was my favorite line in the entire book and the graphic novel, where Night Owl asks what happened to the American dream? And he says, what happened to the American dream? It came true. This is it. You're looking at it, yeah. And I think that is a very poignant point in the entire experience of either one, of the graphic novel or the movie. Yeah. Less so in the movie because I think the movie doesn't make the points as well as the graphic novel does. And it asks less questions. But I think yeah. the point is the same in both. And mm -hmm. it brings us back to, you know, even our Gatsby review. What is the American dream? Where is the American dream? And the comedian's idea of the American dream just was you're somewhat semi-happy. He believes yeah. the entire graphic novel and the entire book that there is no, you know, American dream. Everything is just evil. Yeah, if he does have any real concept of the American dream, it's it seems to be freedom. The freedom to do what you want. In the case of the world of the Watchmen, a large, large portion of their freedom they use to riot and be horrible people. I mean, we do have that freedom around here to be complete idiots. It's actually like a constitutional right. You can kind of do, to a large extent, as long as it's not infringing upon someone else's rights, you can do what you want. And it doesn't matter if it's good or evil or if it's even for the good of mankind or for the good of the country. That doesn't matter. You can still do it. Well, let me ask you this question. I'll use a literary term here, and let me ask you this question. Do you consider him a foil? 
to everyone else. That's actually what Rorschach says about about the comedian is that he is actually not so much a foil as just a a parody of the human condition. The human condition is evil, so that's what the comedian decided to be was evil. So I wouldn't really say he's a foil because he's more of the same thing, but I guess a, a foil to what? To the fact that most of the other people in the main cast want justice in some way. The oh, comedian yeah. doesn't care. No, not really. He does So towards the other others in the Watchmen, yeah, I guess he is a foil because as you said they want justice, they want something good. He doesn't. He just wants whatever he wants and yeah, he wants he's just it being in whatever used by way. the government to go to Vietnam and just start capping everybody. Let me ask you this. There's a big difference between the comedian's character in the movie and the comedian's character in the book, and I want to see what you think about it. They get rid of the scar. He doesn't keep the scar in yeah. the movie. And right. what do you think about that? Do you think that that's, that's poignant? Do you think it's important? Do you think that it matters? Because Good she question. still says the line, you, you remember, remember me, and, but he doesn't have the scar to remember them anymore. Right. So do you think that it's important that they get rid of it? You know, I hadn't considered that before. That, I mean, it's striking me as very important, but I can't quite put my finger on why. I mean, what do you think? I think it's important. Yeah. I think his scar stood for the entire graphic novel, the parts after afterward, and for the and it would have for the movie as a reminder of what happens to complete evil. What happens when you just don't care about other people? It's a reminder. It's yeah, a reminder you get all of evil. And you look evil. And I think yeah. the the fact that they omitted that, while it doesn't ruin his character, it's definitely, without a doubt, something that I'm left lacking. I'm yeah. something I'm left with an empty feeling missing. Right. Night Owl. In the graphic novel, Night Owl is a lovesick romantic. In the movie, I think he isn't anything. He's kind of a blank slate. They have him all over the place. I really think they don't define his character enough. He does things that don't really make sense. Like he denies to Rorschach that they should get involved, but at the same time, he goes involved. to yeah, he goes to talk to Vite. I don't. Th he's all over the place. I don't think yeah. he really has a character in the movie. And I think for that reason, so he's one of the most forgettable people in the movie. He's one of the most one forgettable of. forgettable characters. One of one of mm -hmm. definitely. I think he's one of the most forgettable characters in the entire movie because he has no purpose. He has no place. He's there. He moves the story along. He breaks Rorschach out of jail. He goes and challenges, you know, Vite. But he does all these things that don't make sense. Like in the very end, when he fights Vite over Rorschach uh -huh. and he screams because Rorschach dies, all of this doesn't seem like somebody who spent more than half of the novel saying they shouldn't get involved in whatever's going on. Yeah. The interesting thing about Night Owl in the graphic novel is what he pines for is the adventuring life. His impotence in all aspects of his life are due to the fact that he's not being the masked Avenger that he wants to be. Once he does that, he actually kind of comes more into a real and likable character because he's got his love back. You know, his love for for adventuring, for avenging things, saving people out of apartment fires. He's he's back striving for justice, and he feels more like a whole person. And I think in the movie it's the exact opposite. Whether he's 
whether he gets his I don't really you never really see that he gets his love for adventuring back. You see that he has sex with Silk Spectre. Uh-huh. That that's basically the highlight of that character. <laughs> he has sex with Silk Spectre. It's that was in a very, so very, very lavish and over the top sex scene uh-huh. that I think we could have done without completely. We could have also done without the song that they put over it. That was which didn't make any sense at all. Oh, and I just, I think, I think they boiled his character down so much in the movie that it, yeah. it, it just, it's very, very, very sad. Yeah. And as you said, it's forgettable, but let's talk about a character who is actually even more forgettable. Silk Spectre. I, I want to stop you before you do anything, because I don't want to go into detail with this. No. Silk Spectre is the comp- is a completely forgettable character who uh. is only there to be Night Owl's Viagra and John's <laughs> tranquilizer. There the, yes. the character doesn't make sense first of all in the movie and in the book she's even worse. She's just this kind of miserable person who's there to bring everybody down around her. Yeah. And I don't much. agree that she has any probative value whatsoever. Not so much. She's largely a non-issue in both. But what do you think we missed? Did we miss anybody? Are you just hankering for a little bit of that Hollis Mason that we didn't talk about? Which character did you like that we missed? Tell us by going to versusmachine.com and clicking that contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page. We want to hear from you. But for right now, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Don't miss the review of HBO's True Blood during the Fang Banger podcast from Two Guys Talking. Great entertainment with real bite. Check it all out at fangbangerpodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective, on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, Thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, Just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. 
So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Two Guys Talking is proud to be using Heil Finn microphones inside the Podcast Bug, a 1974 custom Super Beetle with a fully functional recording studio built into the front. Check out the latest audio capture tool and head turner that keeps Two Guys Talking on the cutting edge of podcasting. Finn mics from Heil aren't just providing great audio quality, they're fun. With glistening blue LEDs in each, they're true technological centerpieces and help Two Guys Talking continually make the mark inside of the podcast industry when out on remote audio capture missions. Are you familiar with Heil microphones? Check out all the details now at HeilSound.com. That's H-E-I-L Sound.com. And learn why Two Guys Talking uses and succeeds in their podcast bug with the best in microphone technology. Heil Sound laying down the best audio tracks inside the podcast bug for Two Guys Talking. And we're back. I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Richard Gibson. And this is the Versus Machine. Today we're doing Watchmen the graphic novel versus Watchmen the 2009 movie. The Comedian's Button. In the graphic novel, the Comedian's Button, it's just this little happy face. He's a he's a comedian. It's just the yellow smiley face. That it's, it's very simple, but it is it's quite a powerful symbol. It is both the first and last thing that we see in the graphic novel. On the very first page, or the very first panel, the very last panel. That's what's in it. It's all. I mean, it's the cover of the of of the graphic novel itself. It's a very important symbol. I think in the movie it's less so of an important symbol, but yeah. it's still there. Hello. I think in the movie, for me, this it was a symbol of not necessarily you know the happiness of the comedian that parody, and then it was doused with the blood or the ketchup right. in terms of the kid wearing the comedian shirt. I think oh. it was a tarnishment of the false happiness of the world. You know, right. saying the comedian had this false happiness about how the world was terrible and he thought it was funny, yeah. and then the blood and the ketchup tarnished that button for him and tarnished that idea. Yeah, and he was called the comedian, but as Vite says, you know, I, I have a really hard time telling when you're joking. Because he never really was. To call the comedian's humor dark humor is really an understatement. He wasn't really exactly trying to be funny. I think he called himself the comedian because that's exactly what he wasn't. It was ironic. Yeah, it was an ironic thing. He was not funny. He was showing how dark and deformed and distorted humanity is. That's not a funny thing. It's and this, anything but. And, you know, they spend the whole time, Vite spends the whole time with everyone labeling him the smartest man in the world, but he doesn't get the comedian's humor, so does that make the comedian the smartest man in the world? <laughs> no, probably not. I, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I just, I just, I, I think that without him there, we would have less to look at when in terms of the evil of humanity because we can yeah. see that humanity is evil throughout the novel oh yeah we can see that humanity is evil throughout the movie Less but so, i think but yes. him blatantly coming out and pointing it out is a big big thing for readers and for our viewers yeah who watches the watchman graffiti in the graphic novel the graffiti is a is another symbol um it's more than just graffiti it's it's actually used that's the final the final word in the graphic novel is who watches the watchman it's a very 
a very important question, especially to put at the end when Veidt has basically achieved world peace. So he's kind of the guy on top, but who's going to monitor him? Regardless of what the power is, if it's your boss at work, if it's um, some state senator, if it's the president of the United States, whoever it is, who watches them? I mean, we need checks and balances to keep things and keep th- uh, people from being corrupted by their power. To an extent, we have that in our government. If there were some sort of a world leader, who would watch them? In the movie, similar to in the book, it's a symbol of how do we watch the people with the most power. But there's a very poignant scene that's in both the movie and the graphic novel that I think proves when it's placed is very important. And that's that whole scene where uh, Night Owl asks the comedian where what happened to the American dream, and yeah. he says it came true. If you look behind him on the wall that has the American flag, Somebody spray-painted who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, and in the movie, he actually disrupts the guy spray-painting that by shooting him with some kind of gas grenade or something. And I think it's very important that it's placed there. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's more of a call to you to ask you who's watching people like the comedian who's just running around with rampant power yeah. and just destroying things left and right just because he feels like it. Right. The government's actually totally condoning what he's doing. That's pretty messed up. So someone needs to keep that in check. But the thing is... There isn't really. Which brings us to the idea of Richard Nixon as a five-time president, but we won't get into the politics of that. No, we won't. Visuals. The visuals in the graphic novel are, they're stunningly original. They're, I mean, it's the traditional panel layout of a graphic novel. In many scenes, it'll be one panel here with, for example, Silk Spectre and Night Owl talking, and then it'll have a panel of john getting ready for his interview and then it'll go back and forth and as they're talking john's not saying anything but it'll superimpose night owls conversation on john's panel and everything that they say takes on a completely different meaning due to where the speech bubble is placed just the visuals of that are just are stunning things in the background there's articles there's headlines just so many different things that bring a whole nother level of depth to the graphic novel just in the visuals alone and they're they're just groundbreaking i think in the movie the visuals are a little bit less important in the sense that they're they're pretty that's what they are you know we know Zack snyder from 300 which was an immensely pretty (laughs) movie even if it didn't follow the comic book at all and i feel like he makes these really beautiful movies that illustrate a lot of the points that the book made well but at the same time he left out all those little visual add-ins those things that added some kind of depth to the characters to the story to those and i think it's a really big problem that he misses that yeah not just not just in the way that it doesn't portray the graphic novel very well i don't think there was anything about the visuals in the movie that were really that stunning nothing was that great nothing was groundbreaking it, would, it doesn't compare in, in the level of quality. I would disagree with you that there's nothing stunning about the movie because there is one thing that's stunning about the movie. I feel like making Under the Hood visual instead of textual was immensely helpful to the point of it. They left out a lot of it, which yeah. wasn't very good, but at the same time, <laughs> they at least it, had some of it. it helped bring it along, and that whole opening sequence is just beautiful to watch. Tales of the Black Freighter. In the graphic novel, there are two issues of Tales of the Black Freighter 
inserted almost entirely within the the Watchmen. There's a it takes place while there is a, a news vendor just kind of pontificating to anybody and there's this kid sitting by reading Tales of the Black Freighter and between the two of them we get a commentary and a a reflection on what is happening within the world of the Watchmen and again the artistry of it is excellent the way that what's said in the the Tales of the Black Freighter applies to what's happening in the Watchmen and what the news vendor says applies to what's happening in Tales of the Black Freighter and just the double meaning everything takes on is excellent in the movie it's actually non-existent if you watch the <laughs> if you watch the regular version of the movie it's non-existent nope. if you watch the director's cut version you see the comic book at the newsstand mm-hmm. if you watch the full version which is an ungodly amount of time they actually include the the tales of the black freighter in where they are in the comic book you cut away to this animated version of tales of the black freighter and you watch it that way Weird. the problem with all of this is because it's not present in the in the movie, you don't get that kind of reflection on right. the themes. But a lot is I, missing. I'm of the opinion that while I agree that it's a good idea that there's something like that to reflect that back, I don't think it has much. I'm not missing much because it's not there. I don't particularly like Tales of the Black Freighter, and I don't particularly think that it's that important. It may not be important in that it doesn't drive the story along. But the way that it reflects it is very is I think very important. I would say the exact I would say the exact opposite. I would say yeah. it makes the story drag. I would yeah. say it spends more time going to this kind of place where we're dragging along, talking about the guy tying dead bodies together to make a raft and then then he's beating up his wife and then a ship is chasing it's it's all just it's it really makes it drag for me it's really a point where i just i don't agree that it, it matters i don't agree that it should be there or could be there or matters at all the morality of peace through coercion yeah so what vite does he achieves world peace by lying He's, he says, John attacked us in, in, the, in the graphic novel. There's this weird, like, other-dimensional alien that pops in and blows up and dies and kills three million in New York and makes people worldwide just go absolutely insane. Uh, well, that's completely not true. It's not an alien from another dimension. It's something he invented and set off. In the movie, Vite has it that John attacks, like, eight cities at once, killing some 15 million in either case, regardless of who is causing the destruction, in the graphic novel and the movie, the world unites against a common enemy that is more powerful than any one nation. But it's a lie. That didn't happen. So I guess we get world peace in that there's not nation fighting nation, but it's through a lie. As we've been asking often, is that evil? Is that moral? And we get to the point of where we ask the question, is it evil, is it moral? And in the movie, it's a much more downplayed point than it is in the graphic novel. But it's still there. It is still there. Either way, I think we find that our main characters are kind of on either side of this entire thing. And we're kind of torn in the middle of whether we think it's a good thing or not. Because obviously, you're taught from an early age, most people are anyway, that lying is not a good thing. You shouldn't lie. Right. But he's uh, making a white lie. Yeah, he, uh, that's what I was gonna say. He's making a white lie to try to make to be the hero to stop nuclear war to save mm-hmm. the world. But is it right? 
And obviously, we have Rorschach coming in and saying, it's not right. It's not I right. We have can't to abide people. by this. Nope. I can't. No and compromise, even in the face of Armageddon. That's why I say he's the most moral out of everyone, because he's the only one that believes I cannot compromise this no yeah. matter what. And I don't think it's right to lie to the people. I don't think it's right to lie to get peace. I have never seen, and furthermore, I have never seen an instance in which lying to get what you want turns out for the best <laughs> no in the graphic novel it's questionable how long Vite could keep this lie up is he going to just create more of these creatures and just set them off at random or is everyone going to constantly live in fear of something that we haven't seen for decades there's a very important question there will his peace even last in the movie they at least have it where as we said before, one of the last lines is, as long as people believe John is still watching us and could blow us up at any moment, we'll have to act properly. So that, at least, might last, but it's still a lie either way. I mean, is no, I don't think that's a good thing at all. While part of me says it's not a good thing that he lies to the people, it's, it's, a, moral, it's a morally ambiguous point. It really is a morally ambiguous point. He creates peace. He yep. is, in, in, some su- in some such way, a hero. He creates peace. Right. But at a terrible cost, and, and as I, a lie. And again, we come back to the idea of: is it worth one to save six, or you know, does the ends justify the means? Yeah. And I'm just not sure if either one makes a good case for why the end should justify the means, or why the end does justify the means. I think that a lot of people would disagree with me, though, and I think that that's a good place to ask them out there whether they disagree with us. So you tell me, do you disagree with us? Is it moral to lie to people to gain peace? Is that the right way to do it? Tell us by going to versusmachine.com and clicking that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page and let us know what you think. The power and pitfalls of icons and heroes. I want to start with this one. I really do. and Because it's bigger in the movie than it is in the book. Yeah. Definitely, without a doubt, it is bigger in the movie than it is in the book. And I think we get a good view of why it's not good to turn someone into the greatest thing in your life. Every time we turn around in either the book or the movie, but especially in the movie, we have someone who has put all of their eggs in one person's basket, and that one person lets them down. Yep. In the case of Dr. Manhattan, it's Silk Spectre. Once she's like, yeah, I'm leaving you, he's like, okay, I'm leaving this earth. There's nothing tying me here. I I have no stake in this earth anymore, so I'm leaving. Dr. Manhattan turned Silk Spectre into sort of a hero for him in that it was the only important thing on an entire planet. I mean, that that is a definite pitfall of having a hero. I think it's worse than that, though. I think it's, oh, yeah. you know, it's this kind of feeling where you're completely hopeless because the thing you believed in is terrible. Yes. And it, it, we got to ask the question, are we teaching our kids the right things to teach our kids to have heroes? Are those heroes then going to, you know, come up and disappoint our kids? And then our kids are left like these people, like the people in this graphic novel. Yeah. Are heroes that bad thing? I'm going to have to argue, honestly, while I agree that we we see the kind of eggs in the basket thing, I have to argue that heroes are important and that heroes oh, yeah. in the novel are actually the only good thing that anyone's doing. I feel like you have to have something to believe in. Hope. We talked about yeah. hope before. Hope is really important. And I think if these heroes give them hope, then it's a good idea. Yeah, you just have to remember that you're putting your hope in another person who's eventually going to screw up. They're eventually going to disappoint you. 
They're eventually eventually going to not be perfect. At the very least, they're eventually going to die. So you need to keep that in mind when you're putting your hope in them. Does Vite succeed? I think the biggest thing that either one of us needs to say about this is it's important to remember that how this looked when it came out and how it looks now is completely different. We are in a completely different kind of conflict now. We are not hiding under our desks during school time for drills to pretend that the U.S., that Sputnik is going to drop bombs on us or some such thing as that. Now we look at conflicts in a completely different way. And it's really kind of a thing between me and Richard that while we understand the value of it back in its time, if you look at it today from today's telescope, he could have never succeeded and it would never have been a good thing. Back in the day, they probably would have thought it was a great thing because he avoided nuclear war. It doesn't matter how he avoided nuclear war. It doesn't matter if he put on a chicken costume and danced for five minutes. He got rid of the the nukes that the Russians had, and that was the most important thing. But nowadays, it's completely a different story. We look at it a completely different way because we're more concerned nowadays with whether his actions were a moral action than it is whether he succeeded in his results. Well, not even... Yes, if it was moral, but even beyond that, Veidt himself says, referring to his times adventuring, it seemed hollow. I fought only the symptoms, leaving the disease itself unchecked. I despised myself, my sham crusade. Knowing mankind's problems, I'd blinded myself to them. Basically, sure, he might be doing something good by stopping these various crime syndicates, but he's not solving the problem. He's treating various symptoms of the disease, of the human condition, but he's not fixing the human condition. So what he sets out to do by averting nuclear war is to fix the human condition. My big question is, did he fix the human condition? I I want to bring in another side of it, and it's a side that we talked about before where we talked about the idea of people being in fear, and that's why they act good. I want to bring in the Avengers movie, and the reason why I want to bring in the Avengers movie is because that whole speech that he makes about how humans are predisposed to be slaves, to be ruled, I think that applies here in the fact that I think that's where Veidt's thinking is. I think he thinks if everyone has a ruler, and everyone has somebody to tell them how they should think and act and be, and they live in fear of the ruler, then they won't do bad things, but that's impossible. It doesn't make sense because evil begets evil and absolute cor- power corrupts absolutely. And we, the graphic novel itself admits that Vite did not, that Vite, while doing a very good thing and averting nuclear war and the, destru- the literal destruction of the whole planet several times over, he still only cured another symptom of the disease that is the human condition. The, the book ends with dan and laurie talking about how they want to go adventuring still so that means there's still crime and there's still crime that's not being resolved well that there's some evil there the very last page we're in the office of the new frontiersman and the newspaper boss is going is just absolutely berating his underling seymour saying such horrible things like three million new yorkers died and you weren't one of them I'm going to say that that relationship is completely evil. So we still have evil in more than one form in the world, even after nuclear war has been averted. I would say that Adrian Veidt failed in what he tried to do. 
He still did a very good thing. Don't get me wrong. But he did not fix the human condition. And I think unless he fixes the human condition and unless he makes the makes people different, unless he turns people into automatons that Pretty believe much. in nothing but moral actions, which then we can get into an existential conversation about what is moral, who is moral, right. and how do we define moral. But beside that point, you can't make everything flowers, kittens, and rainbows without changing fundamentally the way the entire universe works. Right. And I think the only person in the novel that could accomplish a feat like that is Dr. Manhattan. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't care enough Mm-mm. to try. But that might be what he does when he leaves. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go make some life of my own in a galaxy that's less complicated. He's, he probably is going to try to make volitional creatures that choose only good. I guess he's going to fail. But we want to hear from you. Do you think Adrian succeeded? Do you think saving the world from nuclear war is the most important thing he could have done? Let us know by going to versusmachine.com and clicking that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page and telling us whether you think he succeeded. Who is moral? There's an important question I want to ask you, and I don't know how this question is going to go over, and frankly, I just want to see how it works. Out of the book and the movie, who is the most moral person? Right off the bat, comedian's out. So really, because I thought he was. I, oh, I thought, yeah, he, yeah, yeah flamethrowers and, and rioters. That's shooting, and shooting pregnant, pregnant women. women. Yeah, okay, so he's out at least. So if we're just taking just the group, the Watchmen themselves, those six comedians out. Silk Spectre is so bitter and hates everyone and doesn't really care. Um, at least she realizes that living itself is sweet at the end of the graphic novel, but not really moral she's not exemplary as far as that goes night owls too reluctant to be terribly moral. skips a lot of opportunities to do good simply because he's afraid of it that's not really moral dr manhattan is definitely not because we talked about that he doesn't save people from their destruction especially when it's completely meaningless a completely meaningless death like the comedian shooting the Vietnamese girl that he impregnated. That girl had absolutely no reason to die, and especially not her unborn child, and Manhattan did not save that, so he's definitely not moral. Um, you know what I want to hear. So now we have Rorschach you know what I and hear. Adrian Veidt. Rorschach, dude, who breaks, like, he says he, he broke, like, 14 people's arms, and on the 15th one, he got the tip that he wanted. Even though those... 14, 15 people probably definitely did something wrong at some point in their life that went unpunished. Breaking your arms probably a little disproportionate. Um, and then Vite killing 3 million people to achieve world peace, killing millions to save billions. I mean, it's kind of a toss between the two of them <laughs> who's more moral, but that's neither of those. I... Are, I, they're I'm, all anti-heroes, honestly. Yeah, every, every, all six of them are anti-heroes. In terms of the movie, I made a chart, and I told you about it, where mm-hmm. I gave people, like, roles. And I said that if Dr. Manhattan is God, which he is in the movie, yeah. then Adrian Veidt is the devil. The person who yeah. maybe had, didn't have the best intentions because he just wanted to be ruler of the world, but at the same time accomplished some sort of good with his terrible intentions. Yeah. Then we have Night Owl, who's the faithful, the people that just follow whatever God wants them to do. Then we have Silk Spectre, who is the religious, the people that 
only doubt God when it doesn't suit them. Then Rorschach, the denier, and the comedian, the fallen. Now, why I mention that is I think that the only one in the entire group that you can say is moral would be God for the movie. But that's not true because God doesn't save anyone. No. God leaves everyone to their own vices. Mm -hmm. But as I said before, I think Rorschach is the most moral out of everyone simply because he's the only one that that is never fails to stick to whatever it is he believes in. Yeah. And, and what he believes in isn't that terrible. No, j striving for justice, that is definitely a good thing. Who doesn't want justice? But I think the end of the the end of the conversation really is you have to ask yourself who makes the best decisions for the best amount of people. It's something that needs to be asked when discussing the graphic novel, but you know, it's a very, very difficult question to answer. Mm -hmm. Though there is something that Rorschach said that I, they added it in the movie and I really liked it. He said, God doesn't make the world the horrible way that it is. It's us. And I think that's a very, a very important statement that it's, it's our own decisions to be evil that put the world in the condition it's in. I really loved reading The Watchmen. It's, it's a masterpiece. And I really enjoyed the movie's appreciation of it, even though it didn't go all the way. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And it's time to say goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at VersusMachinePodcast.com. That's VersusMachinePodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.